0: Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Invite the congregation to remain standing for a moment as we move to the text from 1 John Part of what's known as the Johannine Epistles. So, when we look at the Johannine literature, we look at the Gospel of John, and then we also look at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And these are called the Johannine Epistles. 1st John, we believe, to be written to the church at Ephesus. If you visit Ephesus today, there are three major things you will see. One is the major uh, city of Ephesus, the old city, with what's known as the library. The two other things that you can see is a place that commemorates uh, the mother, the mother Jesus, um, the mother Mary house. It's, it literally is uh, a third of the side of the sanctuary, and then the old Saint John's Church, believed to be a church commemorating also the uh, burial place of John the Baptist. This is what John is telling the church. We believed again in Ephesus. As they have been challenged by messages contrary to the gospel, and he wants to remind them of something. So, listen to how many times you hear the word fellowship. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now this is the message we have heard from him being If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His Word is not in us. This is the Word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are Let us pray together. Oh God, may your spirit stand between me and your people so that the word of my mouth, meditation of our hearts together would be shaped, formed, and molded into your word. And eternal God, show us your word and your covenant in your word, and your grace within your covenant, your goodness within your grace, your love within your goodness, and yourself in your love. All this in the name of Christ, in Whom's. Spirit and presence we gather, we pray, and we will depart and seek to serve faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. So as we consider the importance of fellowship, I want to take the approach to this task to say that what we lean on matters, the hymn selection, we lean on those everlasting arms, and um, I want to use some imagery to sort of move us into this text about who do we really trust? And in the words of Max Lucado, you aren't what you say, you are what you do. Okay, You aren't what you say, you are what you do. If you're in New York City and you go to uh, the Rochester Center, uh, you'll see this guy. How many of you know who that is, right? Atlas, right? It has to carry the weight of the world upon his shoulders and everything. If you're facing Atlas, and this is the direction you're facing with the Rockefeller Center in the background, you're, you're seeing that this imagery of Greek mythology is there. The weight of the world, suspending the world in the sky, it's all carried, it's all on his shoulders. Have you ever felt like that, that the whole world is on your shoulders? But friends, in the same way that if we're facing Atlas, and we're facing the background of all that represents, if we will change our perspective, it can change how things look. So, guess what happens when you go to the other side and look at the backside? You see St. Patrick's Cathedral. And you see this sort of contrast of the spires of the cathedral that represent the most of that hymn and song we sang as children. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? He's got you and me, brother, in his hands, you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands, but the question is, does he have your world in his hands? So whether you recognize that you don't have to carry the whole world, it's not all upon you, or whether you recognize that God is with you is a matter of perspective and where you stand. Now, what's fascinating, if you ever get a chance to visit St. Patrick's Cathedral and you walk in, you will see that uh, there is a contrasting imagery. As you walk in, there is a small statue of Jesus. And in his right hand is a sort of a child Jesus. Guess what he's got? He's got a globe. And there's such a contrast for us to think about, a matter of perspective, about where we feel the weight of the world and we have to carry it or whether we recognize that our world is in God's hands. I think John wanted the church at Ephesus to remember this. He's, he's writing to a group of people who are so greatly influenced that they, they are starting to pick up the false teachings of things that, that move the relationship with Jesus to an ideology. There's sort of a growing sense of what's known as Gnosticism, that there's a head knowledge um, I love the way that the English Standard Version introduction to First John reads. So I'm going to just, just read it to you and have you follow along. John's aim is redemptive, not reactionary. So as he's writing this, his aim is redemptive, not reactionary. He urges readers to refine their theological understanding, sharpen their ethical rigor, and heighten their devotional intensity. That is, they must grow in faith... Obedience and love. Yet the letter is not a list of do's and don'ts, but rather a manifesto of duns. Did you catch that? Not a list of do's and don'ts, don'ts. But a manifesto of done. In other words, what has been done and what has been accomplished in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. First John highlights what the Father has done in sending Christ the Son and offering Him as a sacrifice for sin, which is causing the world's darkness to pass away and the true light of the coming age to shine. It's an imagery in John that you see woven throughout. Because if we look at the way in which the gospel of John is arranged, it's very similar to the way the first John begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word's with God. And then you read later in chapter 3 that the light came into the world, but the world did not like it because it's darkness. Friends, the words of Martin Luther King are so true. Darkness cannot overcome darkness. The only thing that can overcome darkness is light. And what I think John is writing to the early church is wanting to help them capture the understanding that our fellowship in the faith is not simply a gathering of people. Yes, we gather together. Yes, we come together, and we do so in many ways. We do so on Sunday morning in worship. We do so in Sunday school. We do so in small groups. We do so in children's gatherings and luncheons and youth gatherings and evening Bible studies and home gatherings We gather in so many ways, but there should be something distinctive about us, and that distinctiveness should be the perspective that we see in the world. Now, outside on the welcome table, continue to be the half sheets where you can pick up our renewed sense of mission, vision, and discipleship characteristics. And one of the collective aspects of where we're going is to understand what defines us as a people of faith in fellowship. We still will welcome all people and welcome every person. Here's what we believe, though. We believe that it wasn't an idea of who Jesus was. It was a truth. Did you notice how often in John, leading off, talks about the tangible witness? what has been seen, what we have witnessed, what we testify, what we have touched. This was not an ideology. This was the reality of who Christ is and was. One of my favorite collection of commentaries is called the Ancient Christian Commentary on Scripture. It's got all of the uh, matriarchal and patriarchal uh, figures of our faith that wrote before there was a codified scripture that we had. And so I found it fascinating as I consulted this week, what did they think of this text years ago? Well, listen to the words of Didymus the Blind. Didymus the Blind. Are you picking up on the irony? I had to read this because I thought, oh, here is one who's going to talk about what has been seen and touched. He lived from 313 to 398. So he began his life prior to Constantine actually... uh, Converting and uh, Christianity becoming, moving from an underground movement to something that's approved. So in his lifetime he sees the Council of Nicaea, the ratification of the Christian faith, the Creed of Nicaea, which you can look at in the back of your hymnal. This is what, this is what Didymus the Blind said about this word of eternal life in First John chapter 1. Verse 2, note that there is an important difference between seeing and contemplating. What do you to think? This is, what, 1,800 years old? Right? Catch the depth of this. Because, friends, very little has changed in the other two millennia. Note there's an important difference between seeing and contemplating. For what is seen can be told to others which is not always possible with things which are contemplated. For there are many things which may be perfectly well contemplated, but which cannot be expressed in words because they are known by some ineffable understanding. In this verse, it should be noticed that those who are bearing witness are not validating the life of Jesus, but improving themselves by their confession. They're not validating the life of Jesus, but they're bearing witness and their life is different because they're testifying to who Jesus was. So, so the church comes this challenge that there's a denying of the divinity of Jesus and the resurrection, that there's a growing understanding and belief through Gnosticism that salvation was based on knowledge and enlightenment rather than a sense of confession, sin, and belief in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. In other words, there is a creeping sense of false teaching that needs to be articulated. I've often felt that at times people say, well, you can't tell me what to believe. And I say, that's absolutely true. And and I want to unpack it this way. There is the teaching of the church, which is called the orthodoxy. That's the right teaching, orthodoxy. That's the right teaching in the life of the church. Every one of you has an individual set of convictions. And I'm going to tell you, I have never met a single person whose individual convictions absolutely align perfectly with the orthodoxy of the church. Now, tongue-in-cheek, I will say, the, the way that I know that is, I still see some Baptists who drink beer and wine. Now every church has its sort of statements its its declaratory boundaries some people say historically well I'm a methodist because I can believe whatever I want to believe And that's not really true, but what's made that's admirable in that at least aspiration admiration is that there was a belief that we don't check our brains at the door, that we provide space for intellectual rigor and conversation in the midst of things that are difficult to comprehend. There is no barcode reader for you to affirm every single statement of the orthodoxy of the church, but the church will proclaim, for example, in the life, death, and resurrection of who Christ is. That's, that's the bedrock of our faith. Paul says if we do not believe in the resurrection, we of all people are most to be pitied. We believe in the scriptures as an infallible word of God's truth in the world, but what we find ourselves in culture is Similar to what the early church experienced, and while John will go on to talk about false teachers, I want to talk about the challenge of false ideologies, the sense of enlightenment. Look, there's a whole lot. I'm going to say a word, and some of you will chuckle, and some of you will get uncomfortable, and some of you are going to put your heads down because you're going. I hope he makes this short. Wokeism. Has caught a lot of energy in our culture today I've been fascinated as I looked at media figures who say this that it's not wokeism it's the real truth right and so I just want to unpack this is an intellectual exercise this is not condemnation I'm not saying go to heaven or hell I'm saying engage your hearts and your minds that what we believe in the orthodoxy of the church is there are some timeless truths that that do not get to be put on the shelf, that do not get to be transcended because we believe we know this now. Or Timothy Keller says, too often the challenge of the church today is a culture that worships the God of now. Now that I know, now that I understand As if the knowledge that we have today somehow can transcend what was known at this time. Friends, I've walked in these places. You can go to a place outside of Nazareth, and we like to say that we know more than people do then. They didn't have computers. They didn't have um, all of the technology with laser beams. And they were literally able, outside of Nazareth, at a place known as Zipporah, over 2,000 years ago, they knew how to make water run uphill. Don't tell me people that we know more than they do. We may have more information about the world than they did, but the scriptures bear a timeless truth that we still wrestle with, whether it be from Didymus the blind to the words of John. Be cautious, friends, for these teachings that are about contemplating or ideologies. What we're called to be is a people who bear witness to the love of Christ. How does it all relate to fellowship? It relates to fellowship this way. Paul, The the, the writer, First John, John will say, you are grounded in your fellowship, and your fellowship should reflect the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that what binds us together in fellowship is our adherence to these teachings. And the reason I talked about convictions and beliefs and orthodoxy is You don't have to affirm every single tenet of orthodoxy. You can't teach against it. You can struggle with it. You don't you can have differing convictions. But the church will proclaim without reservation the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and God's word is contained in the Bible. His word to guide our lives, to direct our lives. We don't have a test for you to be in the fellowship. I wouldn't get in. I've got questions. I've got struggles. The purpose of the fellowship is to pull us together. And and what was really important that we need to lean back into in the understanding of fellowship is the purpose of our fellowship isn't just to see each other and laugh and feel better. There is a purpose. Did you notice that couched within this context is is the language of sin? Now, I want to unpack sin this way from the Greek word hamarsia to mean to miss the mark, right? It's an archery term. We miss the mark of God's calling so often and the purpose of our fellowship be to get together and to be able to look one another in the eye and say, how is your walk with Christ? Where are you being distracted from faithfulness? And the purpose of that is to remind us that when John introduces this concept, he reminds us that God is always faithful to forgive wherever there is a cry of confession. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just, will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Prior to that verse, he says, look, if we say we have no sin, then we walk in darkness. This is where this all meets, the rubber meets the road for me. I don't believe that our greatest challenge is necessarily in our world today uh, the same things that John and others experienced in false teachings. I believe that it is the lure of trusting more in ourselves than we do in a transcendent truth. And what I've learned is I can't always trust myself. But there is the lure within the world to say, can't we all just get along? Oh, that's not important. That's not important. And if you're not careful, if you let the influence of the world to diminish the distinctive nature of the language of the church, to reduce any sense of conflict or tension, you will become someone, as uh, Stanley Howerwell says, as praying to the name of an unknown God. So... We want to remain in the fellowship that claims the distinctive characteristics of the faith, that leans into the reality of this truth of Scripture that guides us. And I would love to say that that's easy for just to do, but you need to know there is an opposing force to this fellowship that we gather And the best way I can illustrate that opposing force is actually from an illustration from uh, my grandfather's archives, those 6,000 illustrations he has. I'll go to that card catalog file and I'll say, hey, I wonder what the struggle was in the 1940s or 1950s or 1960s. It's amazing how consistent the struggle is. It's just that the details are changed. Devotional from the 1960s from my granddad's archive. It's from a gentleman who was actually in Russia listening to a missionary named Jakov Zidkov. Now I'll have to ask, I'll, I'll, I'll show these letters to you, Elena, and make sure that at the 11 o'clock service I pronounced that correctly. So you will help me with my Russian pronunciation. So the face of Zhikhov um, uh, glowed as he was talking to this early group of Christians in Russia in 1956, got in behind the communistic wall. Uh, they were meeting together, and he began stressing the need for the Holy Spirit to glow within each of us. So he was talking about how the Holy Spirit glows in us. He was drawing the imagery of what was happening at Pentecost. And if in this devotional thought my granddad had, here's what it says. And then he went on to say that the fire can burn more certainly as we hold ourselves in the bond of fellowship with other Christians, that the, the holding together is where the, the fire burns more brightly. When firemen want to put out a blaze, they separate the flaming timbers one from another. And the enemy likes nothing better than to see the followers of Jesus out of fellowship with each other. Friends, there is going to be a challenge to your coming together. And it's going to want to pull us apart over things that don't matter. What we want to be is a community of faith that relentlessly pursues making sure that we're gathered in groups together. That, That bond of friendship, that bond of fellowship that's rooted in our faith in Christ is what sustains us what gets us through the difficult times. We want to be a group of people who continue not only to lean on the everlasting arms, but to lean on them together and to recognize that when we need to lean, we lean together and to live life as a community, recognizing the distinctive nature of who we are as God's people in the world, followers of Christ, ones that would seek to Bear one another up to pray for peace and to work for peace in a world filled with darkness and conflict. Friends, this is that fellowship. This is that joy divine of which our hymn spoke. This is who we are and who we are called to be as the church. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you help us as we consider the ways in which we have so many calls on our time and attention that draw us into fellowships throughout our day and week. Help us to um, hear the call of your Spirit to reach out to one another in the community of faith, to be a community of faith that reaches out into the community, looking for others who hunger and thirst to be a part of a community. God, open our eyes that we would see, open our ears that we would hear, Open our hearts that we would receive. In the midst of all that we do, God, would you help us remember that what what is fueled from our fellowship is where we choose to walk. So help us as we leave this place to choose to walk in the light and to hold fast to the faith that has sustained us through the years. For these things we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen.